0: Okay, welcome and good evening. We are continuing in our Bible study series from 2nd Peter, which we have entitled Growing in Grace and Truth. We have now come to chapter 2 in our study, and we've done a very lengthy introduction to start off this second chapter. Uh, It's really the bulk of the entire letter this second chapter of Second Peter, and we looked in both the Old Testament and in the New Testament at an abundance of Scripture that deals with the subject that Peter is going to address in this second chapter, namely the presence and the activity of false prophets and false teachers and as we have been seeing for several sessions now, this is not an obscure or isolated problem, but it's very common, very widespread, both in the Old and New Testaments, many lengthy passages about this topic, and we are continuing looking at a few more New Testament passages that speak to this problem before we actually turn our attention back to 2 Peter chapter 2. Uh, And we've seen that Jesus and the Apostles all spoke frequently and at some length, uh, warning us that there would be many false prophets, many false teachers in the church and in especially the last days. And one of the things that I hope you're noticing is it's your responsibility and my responsibility to be firmly grounded in the truth of the Word to make sure that our hearts are sincerely surrendered to God and to His will so that we don't put ourselves in a position where we can be deceived god wants us to know the truth to be firmly rooted and grounded in the truth and that's why second peter chapter 1 dealt with growing in grace being established in the scriptures knowing the lord those are all important foundations to protect us against deceptions and false ministers. And we saw that both Paul and John, and of course Jesus himself, uh, spoke a lot about this problem. And it never ceases to amaze me that we somehow imagine that in the early church, that first century church, uh, they had some of the original apostles, many of the folks in these churches had literally witnessed the day of Pentecost, not to mention some of them may have been eyewitnesses of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. And somehow we imagine that they didn't have any of the problems in their churches that we do in ours. But it really wasn't any different. And we find that very early on, In the writings of Peter, John, and Paul, all of them write about this problem already developing in the early church of false teachers, heresies, false doctrines, false prophets. So, if they already had it in the first century, imagine how much more we need to be prepared and on guard in these last days, because Jesus told his disciples, this is one of the major signs of the end times. Great deception. Many false prophets, many false Christs, many false teachers. And as we're going to see tonight as we move along, the part that I find most distressing is not just the promise that there will be many false teachers and false prophets, but that they will deceive many. And my prayer tonight is that none of us would be one of that many group. We want to be grounded in the truth, full of the Holy Spirit, able to discern between truth and error. And we need to depend very heavily now on the Holy Spirit who has been given to us to lead us and guide us into all truth. But, there's one caveat here. We need to make sure that we love the truth. And we're told in 2 Thessalonians 2, that one of the reasons there's going to be widespread deception in the last days, is because people no longer love the truth. And because they love the truth, they end up swallowing a lie. And so, you and I need to be ever so careful to keep our hearts pure, right, sincere before the Lord, as we're told in the book of Proverbs, buy the truth and sell it not. In other words, the the truth is free, but there's also a price if you and I are going to continue loving the truth, embracing the truth, and wanting to hear the truth. There's definitely a price to pay, if we're going to be people of truth, especially in these last days. All right, let's continue on from where we left off last time. We're looking in the book of Acts now, and again this is in the early days of the early church, and we see in a couple of passages here how they already were having problems with false prophets and false teachers. And we begin with Peter himself, the writer of Second Peter, Simon Peter, had an interesting encounter that's recorded for us in Acts chapter 8, beginning at verse 9, and we're just going to pick parts of the story, but if you're following in the outline notes, which are available, by the way, on our website at new-life-ministries.org, um... These are the notes for 2 Peter, Growing in Grace and Truth, and this is on page 19. And we're looking at point number 18 here, Simon the Sorcerer. And there are two Simons here, Simon the Sorcerer and Simon Peter, depending on your uh, Bible translation. We'll pick it up at verse 18 and take it a little further from there when Simon, that's this Simon the sorcerer, when he saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. Now, in the context, Peter and John had gone down to Samaria because they heard that many people there were getting saved. They went down to lay hands on them that they might be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And this... Simon the sorcerer was amazed when he saw that, and he, he was willing to pay money to get the same gift. So when he saw how the Holy Spirit was being imparted to people through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, verse 19, and said, Give me also this ability, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry, because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps He will forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon the sorcerer answered, Pray to the Lord for me, so that nothing you have said may happen to me." One of the things I want you to see in many of these passages is the attitude that the apostles and church leaders had toward these false prophets and false teachers. They seem to be very harsh and even unkind in their dealings with these people, and it's for good reason. It's one thing when you're dealing with an adulterer or a sinner of some kind, but these are evil people who want to deceive others and lead others astray in their error. And because they can have an effect on many, many other people. There's a whole different attitude that you pick up in the Scriptures, and this is a good example, the way Peter deals with this Simon. You have no part or share in this ministry. May your money perish with you. Your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness. You are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Very strong language that Peter uses with this man here. And we're not really sure what the outcome was. It would seem that hopefully the, the man really did repent and get his heart right with the Lord. But moving on to another instance that involves the Apostle Paul, you're again going to see this kind of a harsh very severe kind of message that they delivered whenever they confronted one of these false teachers or false leaders. And this is found in Acts chapter 13. And this is where Paul encounters a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. And we'll start in Acts 13 from verse 6 says, they traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer. Seems like they had a lot of those in the early apostolic days. Met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. So here there's this sincere man who's wanting to hear the the good news of the gospel. But, verse 8, elimus that's another name for Bar-Jesus, but Elimus, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. So, this is a whole different situation here. The proconsul is a sinner, but he wants to hear the Word of God. This false prophet is trying to interfere with the ministry of the Word of God and even trying to turn souls away from the faith that were wanting to be saved. Notice Paul's attitude Toward this false prophet. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elymas and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? That doesn't sound very nice. Well, it gets worse. Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind, and for a time you will be unable to see the light of the sun. Immediately mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. In both of these cases, the false prophet was trying to deceive and even prevent people from coming to Christ, coming to a knowledge of the Word of God. And in both cases, they received a very strong warning from the Lord through the Apostle Peter and here through the Apostle Paul. You're going to see this especially when we eventually come back to 2 Peter 2, where Peter talks about false teachers in the church and what kind of judgment and condemnation awaits them. It's a very strong chapter. But one more verse before we go there. In the book of Revelation, chapter 2, as you know, there are seven messages that were delivered to the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3, and each one of them mentions various strengths and weak uh, weaknesses, sorry, strengths and weaknesses in each one of those seven churches. And in Revelation 2, it starts off with a message to the Ephesian church. And it's interesting, if you remember a while back, we saw in Acts chapter 20 when Paul gave his final farewell to all the pastors, all the shepherds and overseers from the Ephesian churches, he warned them at that time that after his departure, savage wolves and deceivers were going to try to come in and take souls out of the church. And it's interesting that here... We're getting a different perspective on the Ephesian church. And here's the message that is delivered to the Ephesian church, picking it up in verse 2, Revelation 2, verse 2. Jesus says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. It would seem that they really took Paul's exhortation and warnings to heart. And they were on their guard. And they were on the lookout for these kinds of false leaders and false teachers who would try to creep into the church. And here we find they were actually even having false apostles, people who were entering into the church, claiming to be apostles, but the Ephesian church had reached a state of discernment and maturity where they were able to test them who were claiming to be apostles and find them false. Very interesting. You have tested them and found them to be false. So, using the Word of God, and using the various tests that the Word of God gives to us, they were able to make a distinction between true apostles and false apostles. And one of the things we're going to keep coming back to is the test that Jesus gave in Matthew 7, when he spoke about false prophets. He didn't He didn't in in any way say they're not going to be able to prophesy, they're not going to work any miracles. Quite the contrary, he confirms that they will prophesy, they will work miracles, they will work signs, they will work wonders. But the test, the real litmus test that Jesus gave for us to use is test their fruit, not their gifts, Test their fruit. He said, by their fruit, you will be able to recognize them. They may dress up like sheep, but inwardly they are wolves. And if you examine their lifestyle, if you examine the fruits of their lives, inevitably you will discover that they are not true men and women of God. They are deceivers and they are false. More about that as we move along a little further in 2 Peter 2. And now, finally, at long last, we come back to 2 Peter 2. And many moons ago, we started with the opening sentence of chapter 2, verse 1, and I'll read it again. But there were also false prophets among the people just as there will be false teachers among you. So, Peter makes no bones about it. You're going to have false teachers. They're going to come. You're going to have to learn how to recognize them. You're going to have to learn how to deal with these characters. And then he continues on in the same verse 1 of chapter 2. They, that's these false teachers, they will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the Sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Verse 2, Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. Verse 3, In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. Alright, let's examine these first three verses more closely. Going back to verse 1, "...the false teachers will secretly introduce destructive heresies." the very first thing we learn about their activity and their mode of operation is to do it in secret. Secretly, they will introduce destructive heresies. These are the kind of people that sneak in. Somehow they they move into Christian circles without being noticed, and one of the other translations on this passage, the Message Bible, for instance, it says they will smuggle in destructive divisions. If you can imagine uh, a spy or a smuggler trying to sneak things in across the border, like a drug smuggler or somebody smuggling other Illegal items across the border. That's the idea you get here. These are sneaky people. Um, they masquerade as true servants of God. They dress up as sheep, but they're actually ravening wolves. In the book of Jude, and I mentioned uh, when we first started studying Second Peter. There are many parallels between Second Peter and Jude, particularly the second chapter of Second Peter and the book of Jude. And we're going to go back and forth and compare some of these similar passages. And one of them, for instance, is found in Jude, verse 4. And note the similarity here. It says, For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago, have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. They have secretly slipped in among you. It's it's interesting. Somehow they're never quite noticed initially. They somehow worm their way in to the midst of the believers in a a congregation, and little by little, they make their move to secretly introduce destructive heresies. I think that word alone should tell us something. These are not people who just have maybe a little bit of a different interpretation on a Bible verse than we have. They've come on a mission. It's a mission to destroy. These are evil men and women. They are led by wrong and false spirits, and they're being used to hurt the church. To hurt, and yes, even destroy, good, sincere Christian people. That's why you may have already noticed several times just in these three verses that we read, what is promised for them is swift destruction and condemnation, okay? They will face severe judgment because of the damage that they can potentially bring to sincere believing Christians. Let's take a closer look at this word heresy. Again, this isn't just a slightly different view on a Bible verse. These are erroneous, twisted teachings that are designed to destroy people's souls. Very strong word. Excuse me. A very strong word that Peter uses here. Destructive heresies. The King James is damnable heresies. And the Greek word that's translated either damnable or destructive is the Greek word apoleia, which means resulting in ruin, loss, eternal damnation, or perdition. It's a strong word. These are teachings that are designed to result in eternal damnation or perdition. In other words, people who are in the process of looking for Christ, they're coming to church, they're hearing the Word of God, they're on the path to salvation, and they want God in their lives. Then along come these destructive damnable heresies that are designed to drag them back into perdition and eternal damnation. It's a very serious thing. And one of the ways that this is accomplished is mentioned in the passage that we just read in Jude, and we're going to develop this much more as we move along. But it says these false teachers... They secretly slipped in among you, and they changed the grace of our God into a license for immorality. So their teachings actually are designed to take people out of holiness and righteousness back into a life similar to their own of immorality, godlessness, and deep dark sin. Remember, by their fruits, we're going to be able to recognize them. They are not living a Christian life. It's all a fake. It's all a masquerade. And when you get behind the mask and see the real life that they're living, it's it's often very, very shameful perversion, immorality, and other types of sin, evil, and wickedness. So, the very first thing we learn about false teachers is they secretly sneak in and then they begin to introduce destructive heresies. For instance, it would go something like this. Oh, we're, we're no longer under law. We're under grace now. You can do anything you want. God's grace is amazing. You can fall into sin You can have have a girlfriend or a boyfriend and have a sexual relationship with them because God's merciful. He's gracious. He's kind. Matter of fact, He's so gracious, He even accepts homosexuals just the way they are. And this is what's happening, by the way, friends, all across the land now. There are numerous homosexual churches with homosexual pastors and leaders, who are teaching the people in these congregations, it's okay. God made you the way you are. He doesn't want to deny you of that love and that pleasure in your homosexual relationship. So, God's grace is abundantly available for you. You don't need to repent. There's no message of repentance, because God's grace permits you Or as Jude says, it gives you a license for immorality. These are damnable, destructive heresies, and you and I need to strongly reject them, strongly expose them for what they are. These are errors, they're heresies, and they're going to lead people into damnation and perdition if people continue down that road. So, two things we learn already. False teachers, they like to operate in secret, and they like to slowly introduce heresies. False teachings that are designed to bring people into destruction, into ruin, loss, damnation, and perdition. The next thing we learn about false teachers, and this is also something we're going to see throughout this second chapter, and I'm going to wait until we get a little further along to develop this at length. It says they even deny the sovereign Lord who bought them. They deny the sovereign Lord who bought them. Now Peter chose his words very carefully here. The word bought is the word that is usually translated elsewhere in the New Testament to redeem or to buy. And it's often used to refer to God's buying or redeeming of lost sinners like you and me. For instance, the same exact word is used in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 20, where Paul tells the Christians at Corinth, you have been bought at a price. And in the context, he's talking about how we've been redeemed through the blood of Jesus. The price of redemption was the blood of Jesus Christ. And the same word is also used in Revelation 5, verse 9, where it talks about those who have been redeemed by the Lord. So what's the point? The point is false teachers start out in the church. They start out as believers. They've been bought by the Lord. They've been redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ. They had an experience of salvation, but as we saw in a number of New Testament passages, they leave the faith. They depart from the faith. They make shipwreck of their faith. They finally abandon the faith. You can't leave or abandon something that you weren't originally in. So these are folks that start out well in the church. They have a salvation experience. They know Jesus as their Savior. They even know Him as Lord because it says they deny the sovereign Lord who bought them. These false teachers had once been purchased, redeemed by the Lord, but they are now denying that same Lord. It's fascinating to note here the very word that Peter uses here for denying the Lord is the exact same word that you find in the Gospels that refer to his denial of Jesus three times. Jesus was denied by Peter. Not once, not twice. Peter denied Jesus three times. And the word means to contradict, to disavow, or to reject. It's the same word in both cases. But note the difference. Peter denied Christ three times, but he repented. He repented and came back to Christ. Christ restored him, and Peter was mightily used, not to destroy the church, but to build up the church. These false teachers, they never repent. They deny Christ, they go against, they contradict They disavow the faith, and they actually end up teaching and ministering to lead as many others into their error and destruction as they can. That's why, in the very next statement Peter makes in verse 1, they bring swift destruction on themselves. This is actually the same word that is used to refer to their heresies. Destructive or damnable heresies. Well, what they end up bringing on themselves is swift damnation. Swift destruction. Very strong condemnation awaits these deceivers of innocent, sincere souls. And... Although their judgment often seems to be delayed, it is very clear from verse 3 that God isn't sleeping. It says, let me read this again, Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. Make no mistake, God knows who these folks are. And perhaps he's given them opportunities to repent, but they have refused to repent. They have gone deeper and deeper in their deception and deceiving others. And one thing awaits them, swift destruction, swift damnation because of their destructive and damnable heresies. You may recall, some of you, um, a while back we did a series of teachings on the signs of the times, and we looked very carefully at Matthew chapter 24, some of the signs that Jesus told us to be on the lookout for as we approach the end and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you find a lot of things mentioned there, earthquakes, wars, rumors of wars. Um, By the way, we're racing toward the end now. We're very, very close. All of those signs have been fulfilled, and we're seeing them with greater and greater frequency, greater and greater intensity with every passing day now. And it's interesting If you remember, in Matthew 24, when they asked Jesus, what is the sign of the end? What is the sign of your coming? The very first words out of his mouth were, watch out that no one deceives you. And he begins to talk about false prophets, false teachers, and false leaders. One of the proofs of that that I mentioned when we did that study was an individual named Jose Luis de Jesus Miranda. He, he's a false Christ, a false prophet, a false teacher, who's originally from Puerto Rico, but he moved the base of his ministry operation to Miami, Florida, some time ago. And he announced on a number of occasions that he was indeed Jesus Christ, and... At some point in time, he changed his message and began to announce that he was both Jesus Christ and the Antichrist. And he tattooed 666 on his body, and we might laugh and say, well, surely nobody would follow uh, such a, a crazed lunatic. Quite the contrary, and this is the part that's extremely troubling about these deceptions. Jesus said there'll be many false Christs, many false prophets, and they will deceive many. This man had a massive, global, worldwide following. We're talking about books, TV programs, radio programs, huge... Campaigns where multiplied tens of thousands of people flocked to hear this man speak. He had a worldwide ministry called Creciendo en, Gra- en Gracia, Growing in Grace. Notice the misuse of the word grace. Well, in August of 2013, this Jose Luis de Jesus Miranda suddenly died. Swift destruction came upon him. And what's interesting is the cause of his death was cirrhosis of the liver. Now if you know anything about cirrhosis of the liver, it normally results from alcoholism or drug abuse. And it would seem that both of these were quite the part of this man's lifestyle. Not to mention, uh, he was, I think he had several divorces, he was living in adulterous affairs with women from his ministry, and these are things that are documented now after his death, but he was a a gambler, and at least on one occasion he racked up over $100,000 in gambling debts in a casino In one single night. Remember, you'll know them by their fruits. Not by their speeches, not by the size of their TV ministry, or how many people come to their campaigns. Look at the man's lifestyle. Divorce, gambling, drinking, and adultery. So easy to recognize he's not the prophet that he claimed to be. And certainly, he fits Peter's description here. After his destructive heresies, swift destruction came upon him. And I've looked into some of the things this man was teaching, and he fits right with this description that we've been talking about. He used the grace of God, or I really should say he abused the grace of God, And changed it into a license for sin and immorality. Telling people, it's okay. The grace of God allows you to keep on living a sinful life. You don't need to repent. You don't need to change anything. God loves you just the way you are. He and all other such false teachers... Peter promises, will bring swift destruction. Even though their judgment seems to be sleeping, it seems to be delayed, in the end, they will not escape the damnation that their uh, evil work deserves. Here's the part, again, that I find particularly troubling and disturbing, Back to Second Peter 2, verse 2, it's the word many. It says, many will follow their shameful ways. This confirms what Jesus and Paul both had to say about the ministry of these false teachers and false prophets. They're going to be quite successful. Many will be deceived. Jesus even went on to say, many will fall away because of them, and the love of most will grow cold in these last days. And for any and all who are listening to my voice tonight, let me be very clear. We're going to be encountering great deceptions in our day, and we need to be rooted and grounded in the Word of God. We need to be full of the Holy Spirit We need to be bold and courageous to stand up for the truth and to rebuke and to reject every lie, every falsehood, every heresy. I don't care whose mouth it is coming from. I don't care how popular they are, how big of a TV uh, station they have. If they are deceiving the innocent, we need to speak out loud and clear against these heresies in our day. Because very soon we're coming to a time which is promised in the book of Revelation during the seven-year tribulation when the entire world will come under the deceptive power of Satan and the Antichrist. We need to be armed in our day to stand against these deceptions, and to have the belt of truth around our waist, put on the whole armor of God, stand firm in the power of God and the power of his word in these last days. Many will follow their shameful ways. Notice again, what kind of ways, what is the lifestyle of these false teachers, shameful. And in most cases, when you really are able to get a close up look at the fruit, the lifestyle of these false teachers and false Christs, it'll be very similar to this Jesus Miranda. Immorality and lasciviousness, evil, sinful, perverse. Adulterous behavior hidden behind the mask of sheep's clothing. Shameful conduct. Shameful ways. We have another example of this in one of the other messages to the seven churches in Revelation chapter 2, and this is in the church of Thyatira. And they had a spirit... That was operating in that church. Not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was there, no doubt, but there was another spirit. And most have referred to this as a spirit of Jezebel. Whether or not there was literally a woman in the church named Jezebel, we can't really be sure. My personal opinion, and it's just an opinion, is that this is referring to a spirit that was operating. It may not necessarily be referring to one individual, although that's possible. But let's read the passage to see what was going on in this church. Revelation 2, verses 20 to 23. Jesus says, nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. Notice that who calls herself a prophetess it's a false prophet spirit she was a false prophetess if indeed it's a little literal person named jezebel by her teaching she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols Notice, this isn't just a little different interpretation on the rapture or the great tribulation. We're not talking about things like that. Her teaching, as we have already learned here, was a damnable heresy. It was a teaching designed to mislead people into immorality that would result in their eternal damnation and their perdition. Let me read this again. By her teaching, notice she was teaching things. By her teaching, she misleads my servants. Her target was servants of Christ in the Thyatiran church. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality. We're not told exactly how she was doing that, but it could be similar to what we've already mentioned. Her teaching was, the grace of God gives you license to commit immorality. God loves you so much, He doesn't want to deny you any joy or any pleasure. So it's okay to have sex with anybody that you want to. His grace is abundant. It's okay you can continue in the church. You can lift your hands and praise the Lord and live in sexual immorality. So her teaching was misleading servants of God into not only sexual immorality, but into idolatry, the eating of food, sacrificed to idols. From verse 21, I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling deeds. You know, God is a good God, and His goodness, we're told in Romans 2 verse 4, is designed to lead us to repentance. It's not to go on excusing us so that we will continue in sin, immorality, and adultery. And in this church, they had been warned by God. They had been given time to repent. And that's one reason why sometimes it seems like judgment and damnation for these people is being delayed, or it's sleeping, as we saw in verse 3. Well, it's not sleeping, and God isn't ignoring what's happening. God is good. God is patient. He's long-suffering. And as is indicated here, he had given... This woman Jezebel and this group of people that were sitting under her false teaching and false prophecy had given them time to repent. But, there's a very stern warning here. If they continue to sin, I will cast them on a bed of suffering, they will suffer intensely, and some will will actually be stricken dead. I will strike her children dead. This is strong stuff. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the night, very stern warnings are always issued in the Word of God to people who are involved in this kind of activity, misleading others into sin, into perdition, and into eternal damnation. And we're going to stop there for tonight, and we're going to pick it up right here next time, looking at the rest of verse 2. And just to introduce what we're going to look at next time, Peter says these false teachers are going to have a great following. Many will follow their shameful ways, and this will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In other words, it's going to give the truth a bad name. And I think you and I have probably had experiences with this, where you're trying to share Christ with someone, or you're trying to talk to someone about the Lord. And the very first thing they bring up is some scandal that has taken place in a church somewhere with a false teacher a false prophet. And that's exactly how it works. They cause the true way to be blasphemed and to be maligned, and it hinders sincere people who may have wanted to hear the Word of God. It hinders them from coming to the truth. This is a very dangerous, a very serious thing, and that's why whenever it's mentioned, you find words like, destruction, condemnation, and damnation mentioned concerning their end. They are given opportunity to repent, but if they refuse to repent, one thing and one thing alone awaits them. Swift destruction and condemnation. Let us pray tonight. And my prayer is not so much for the false teachers and the false prophets. God will deal with them. My prayer is for those that are being deceived by them. This is very disturbing to me, this prophecy that we just read in Peter, and it's also found in the Gospels when Jesus speaks about this. Many will follow their shameful ways. Many will be deceived. I want to pray tonight for Christians everywhere. I want to pray for pastors, for leaders of churches, that they would have the guts, they would have the backbone to stand up against every heresy, every false teaching. I don't care whether it's coming from the White House, whether it's coming from NBC, CNN, or ABC News, or what the source of it is. It might even be on Christian TV that we would have discernment we would have courage to stand for the truth of God, to be full of the Holy Spirit, and to reject everything that is false. Let us pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we are living in the last days, and we are seeing the unfolding of things that both Jesus and the apostles of the early church warned us about. Many false prophets, many false Christs, many false teachers. And God, we know that they're already here. Wolves who have come in sheep's clothing. But God, I pray for every Christian, I pray for every pastor, I pray for every leader of Christian congregations, that they would have discernment they would know the truth of your word. That, oh God, we would be rooted and grounded in the truth of the scriptures and we would not be misled by prophecies, by stories, by false testimonies. But God, everything would have to pass through the filter of your holy word and your Holy Spirit. God, I pray that every Christian would be filled with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, who has come to lead us and guide us away from every lie, every falsehood, every heresy, and every deception, and guide us into all truth. Lord God Almighty, give every one of us a love for the truth. Give us a, a heart that is sincere and pure that rejects everything false. God, we don't want to be like those that Paul spoke of in Timothy, that no longer endure sound teaching, and they heap around them false teachers who will preach to them things that their itching ears want to hear. God, we don't want to fall into that trap. Speak to us the truth of your word, even if it cuts, even if it convicts, even if it makes us uncomfortable. God, we want to keep hearing the truth of your word. We want to buy the truth and sell it not. And Lord, I pray that in these last days, we would not fall prey to deception, to false prophecy, to false ministry of any kind. But Lord, we would be able to discern right from wrong, truth from error, and we would cling to that which is true. Lord, bless and keep every one of us. Help us to have the belt of truth around our waist, filled with the Holy Spirit, standing in the truth of your holy word. We pray and ask all of these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Amen and amen.